I thought to get us started, um, I'd break the ice slightly. What job? If you could do another job for the summer, just for the summer, you know, you had a gap three months, not a gap year. What would you fancy doing just for a change? Anyone want to throw anything out? Sports commentator. Hopefully for an England World Cup win. Is that what you mean? No. (laughs) You'd love to have commentated England-Iceland. Is that what you'd like to have done? (laughs) Yeah. Anyone else? No one fancy a change for the summer. Do something different. Train for Manchester United. Wow. Yeah. Is that the under eights? Only joking. Only joking. Anyone else? Teacher. In the summer. Perfect. <laughs> do you know, um, if I could do something else for the summer, do you know, I'd either sell second-hand cars, because I quite fancy my chances, or I'd run a market stall, right? Selling stuff. So today, I haven't got a market stall. I've got a chair, and it's got nothing for sale. It's all free. But I'm almost fulfilling my dream of a summer job, because I've got two things on there I'd love you to take away. Um, as you know, I work for the EA, and we are utterly committed to evangelism. And so we've done some things to help church. So as well as doing a seminar in a moment, I've just got some stuff for you, which I think will help. The first is this. It's a little resource. It's about 20 pages. It's called Speak Up. These are free. I'd love you to take one of these. These are to remind you of what your opportunities and rights are to share the gospel. Put another way, this is the antidote to the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail runs headlines like, you can't wear a cross to work. Not true. You can't wear a cross the size of your torso to work. (laughs) The Daily Mail runs headlines like, um, you can't pray at work. Not true. You can't do spiritual abuse at work. And we've had enough at the EA of some of our secularised culture ripping apart our confidence in the gospel and our ability to be salt and light in everywhere we found ourselves. So we produced, alongside with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, a brief guide to the law and your gospel freedoms to give confidence in the gospel and remind people what they can say. I've got loads of them, right? Take one for yourself, but if you think there's other people who want one, take some. We've printed thousands of these and we've never known anything go so quickly. But it's here to remind us of that. So take one off my chair at the end. Then the other thing I've got, It's a big project I've been involved in. I joined the EA just over a year ago and I've gone all over the place getting really excited and helping other people get excited about reaching people. But you're left with the question, yes, but how? And you're left with, what do I do now? How how do we change this? So we are producing a mega web portal called The Great Commission. These are some postcards about it. It's coming out in the autumn. I'd love you to take probably 30 or 40 of these to give some out of your church. Or put them on your church notice board. or something. I'd love you to give that. Because what is the Great Commission? I'll explain it to you. Why have we called it the Great Commission? Because God calls us not to make just decisions, but disciples. Also, if we called it evangelism, no one would use it. It's the truth, isn't it? It's like a swear word to a lot of people. But what we're being honest about is we want to help people reach more people. So we want to answer on that web portal the why, the what, and the how of reaching people. The why is we need confidence in the gospel again. From the end of October, every Monday morning, nine in the morning, the EA are going to produce a video and release it of someone who's come to faith in the UK recently. Why? You know, if you want to change culture, philosophers say you tell a different story. We want to tell the Jesus story. It's not enough of it around. What you celebrate, you cultivate. And there's not enough of churches celebrating what's going on. So every Sunday when I go and preach at a church, I'm going to simply say this. Before I preach, would you mind if we just play this week's story? Next, what a wonderful thing that the idea that every week we're releasing the story of people coming to faith. That's the why. The what, there's going to be loads of articles. I'm trying to write five this week. That's fun whilst I'm doing this as well. But loads of articles on how do you help a church be outward looking? How do we gather to scatter? What are some tips for prayer? How do we begin conversations with people? So there'll be a load of that stuff. Then the how, at the moment, it would be my view at least, that where does your average individual or church go to know how to reach people? You go to an organisation that does something. There's there's nowhere you can go that objectively covers everything. And so what we're doing is you can search by demographic. Let's say youth. You could search by youth. And we would show you all the different things being done by different people that are really good on reaching young people. And we would tell you the spiritual temperature and allow you to build a plot so that you don't just do nice stuff for young people, but we really reach them. We're also going to find the gaps. I've raised some money to then be able to go to some organisations and say, for example, 93% of mums and toddlers groups in the UK are running churches. 
Well, where's the fruit? So we want to help produce a resource to, to help the mums at Mums and Toddlers meet Jesus. So we've, um, we'll go to some organisations because we don't want to produce it. We're the EA. The EA is the empty table or the empty shop where everything can gather. It's not the player. And so we're going to go to some people and say, will you produce this so it can go on? So we want to provide a one-stop place for the why, what, and how of, evan- of evangelism. Ludicrously ambitious, I know. That's why when it comes out at the end of October, it's going to be an active pilot. It's going to change, it's going to grow, it's going to develop. We're not launching a car that's been road tested in every way. We're launching something to help the church reach more people because we want to strengthen the muscles of the church to reach lost people. You up for that? So um, David Smith on the stand said to me, I've given you far too many, you'll never get rid of them. So that's our challenge. We've got, I'd love you to take a bunch of postcards and give them out to people. We want to have some good traction around the launch of this and I'd love you to take a bunch of the speak ups. And you know what? Nothing on the site's going to cost you any money. So there's no money in this. It's simply saying, we're doing stuff to reach people. Help us reach people. Because together we could change the world, eh? No point preaching about courage last night and then saying, but I'm not going to help you know how. So we're producing a load of stuff to help. And the idea being that after October, I'll never go anywhere and not say, yes, but how? Go here. This is going to help you. It's going to grow and change. It Also, the final thing on it, and forgive me, I'm getting too excited. But the final thing on it is, if you're doing something brilliant in, your, in a church that's never had a platform to bless other people. We want to tell other people about that because we want the church to be a family. So if something amazing is happening in in Coleraine, is that the right pronunciation? Yes, well done, Calva, practicing. If something brilliant is happening in Coleraine, why wouldn't the rest of the United Kingdom benefit from that? So we want to tell a story. I came across um, Auntie Julie, she's called by everyone in the church. She's in Carlisle and she does this coffee stuff for homeless people in Carlisle. And no one's ever heard about it. And she's led loads of people to Jesus. And you know what? We're going to tell her story. Now, not for her vanity, but for the kingdom. Because there's a lot going on in pockets that's not being shared. We need to start sharing so we reach more people. So also, if you've got stuff, come and see me. Come and tell me. And that would be brilliant. Going to move on now. I would say advert over, but it's not advert. It's a quipping session over. King Jesus, help us now as we look at keeping evangelism central in the church. Be close to us. Lead us. Speak to us. Amen. Can you look at this picture for me? Who sees the old lady first? Hands up. Who sees the young lady first? Who never puts their hand up for anything? (laughs) Looking at it now, can you both see the old and the young lady? No? Well, okay. For those who can't, the mouth of the old lady is the necklace of the young lady. The eye of the old lady is the ear of the young lady. You're with it now? We've all got it. The reason I show this is we need perspective. Wherever you look at the world from. All right, someone looks confused. Okay, here we go. <laughs> if you can see the old lady, that eye is an ear. You there? And the lump on the nose is the nose for the other person. <laughs> We're there. And perspective's important. And I want to encourage us as the church to start being more hope-filled. Because I think when it comes to evangelism, we assume no one wants to join. But when you see people being evangelistic about other things, they expect you to want to join. And what I don't understand is where our confidence has gone. And I think we need a change of perspective. Now, I don't want this to sound flippant, but the worst the world can do to you is utterly reject you, make a social outcast of you and kill you. That's the absolute worst that can happen. The best is revival. And to be honest, if you're made a social outcast, rejected and killed, that probably will lead to revival. But we need to change our perspective to being one of wanting to share and to being one of looking at this differently. Because I think um, often as Christians, we treat evangelism as a sort of extra at the end. You know, if we, t- if we tell anyone about Jesus, we've done God a favour. But actually, the woman at the well who I spoke about on Sunday night First thing she does after meeting Jesus is go and get someone else. It's what you do. Christianity is for sharing. Which is why I wonder if, um, with the person next to you, just to stop me talking the whole time as well, just discuss this little quote. Do you agree with this? William Temple was Archbishop of Canterbury during the Second World War. And he said, the church is the only institution on earth designed entirely for the benefit of its non-members. Turn to the person next to you and just discuss. Do, do you agree, disagree, or partially agree? Where are you at with that? And this, this isn't a long conversation. It's just what do you think?
Sounds like some good discussions going on, unless you're talking about the weather, and if you are, it's a one-word discussion, dreadful. But um, let's fit in. What do we think? It's what it should be? Okay, let's, let's do this by hands, because, you know, that's a, who totally agrees with this statement? Okay, who totally disagrees with this statement? And who is getting splinters because they're sat on the fence and thinks it's kind of half true and half not true? Wonderful. There's only one word I disagree with in this statement. Entirely. You take that away, I'm happy. Because actually, everything else on earth exists to feed the people within it. But the church exists for the benefit of those outside of it, doesn't it? Which raises some questions on style. When... um. When I went to Blockbuster Video, do you remember they used to have these shops, right? Where you would hire a VHS video. And it would cost you nearly four quid to do it. What what was that all about? And if you had it for ten minutes over the time you were allowed, it cost you another four quid. what, What a bunch of mugs we were for a while. Anyway, I went to Blockbuster Video once, many years ago. God spoke to me profoundly. Before I had kids, there was a dad with his two kids. And God spoke to me as if to say, if, if the dad wants to watch Rambo, but his two kids want to watch Dumbo, what film do they get? Dumbo. Why? Right, if we all talk at once, I'm going to struggle slightly, but... Yeah, the father loves his children and sacrifices for his children. Why else? Sorry? Inclusive, to be inclusive of others. What else? Because they'll whinge if they don't get it. Not quite the answer I was looking for, but we'll go. But we've all been there. (laughs) Anything else? Sorry? It's not suitable. What do families do? They include the least mature. My parents live in America. When they used to come to Britain before I had children, they'd come to our house and we would have a curry and watch Proro, right? Ultimate middle-aged, middle-class thing to do. When I, start, when I had children, they'd come to our house and they'd watch Peppa Pig and eat Happy Meals, right? Never known my parents go near McDonald's, but suddenly grandkids come along who like McDonald's and my dad will eat a Big Mac. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And um, what's interesting is they love it as well. Because what families do is families include the least mature. Now, when it comes to evangelism, this isn't just an age thing, it's the least spiritually mature. Is the style of the way your church does stuff catering for the least spiritually mature or the people who've been going to church the longest? Because I think we've got a real style issue in lots of contexts. Because church works a bit like nectar points for some people. The longer you've been there, the more loyalty you've built up and the more influence you should have over the institution. Whereas actually, if we're going to make evangelism central to what we're doing, we're going to have to start accepting that we're going to have to make the style and the way we do things more appropriate for those who have less Christian heritage, not more. My grandma, um, she passed away this year, the last of my grandparents to go, and that's cool, she's gone to be with Jesus. But she said to me uh, in the middle of last year, She was explaining to me about her church. She said she hates the way her church does stuff. She said the music's really loud. She said the talks do not go to the depth she wants. And she says that they have coffee and donuts in the middle of church. And that's totally inappropriate. And she said the preacher even preached in jeans and a football top. But then she said, but I don't mind really. Because I'm going to be with Jesus soon. And there's lots of younger people who are engaging with this. You know, it's not just an age thing, but I think those of us who have been around the church a bit longer need to realise that our style has to change. The less mature may not survive if the style stays as it is. And then we'll call them prodigals or we'll say they rejected it, but they didn't reject it, they just couldn't engage. So we've got to consider our style a bit as we go. So what kind of approach do we need? If we want to have an evangelistic church, what kind of approach do we need? This is just a a little triangle that talks about the three components we have to have in order to faithfully reach people. 
The three components are gospel, culture and church. However, if you lose one of these components, you struggle a little. Karl Barth famously said, you hold the newspaper in one hand, the Bible in the other, and the two have to interact. Now you probably have them all on one device, but nonetheless they need to interact. So tomorrow I'm going to look at our cultural landscape for evangelism because it really matters. Because we're in danger of not understanding culture enough, therefore you can't communicate. And culture and gospel have got to work together. Jesus did not care about farming, but he talked about it a lot. Why? Because that was the keyhole to the culture. We've got to find the ways of contextualizing. The message never changes, but the style changes like the wind. But we've got to find ways of engaging there. But culture and church have to work together. Did you know that in the year 2000, the human ability to concentrate in the United Kingdom was 15.9 seconds? What do you think it is now? 8.1 seconds. A goldfish is 9 seconds. So in the last 15 years, our ability to concentrate has almost halved. And it wasn't high to start with. Therefore, we have to consider some of how we do stuff. We also have the church and gospel. There's no point in, in, in having a gospel outside of the church. The church has got to be the place where people who come to faith become part of. And you have this circle there. Well, it's not a circle, it's a triangle. But you have this triangle there where culture, gospel and church work together. There's a reciprocal relationship between gospel and church. There's a missionary emphasis between church and culture. And there's a conversion moment between gospel and culture. But it just simply puts it in a way we can all understand. And there's a character in the Bible who's called an evangelist. Who's that? Philip. Philip is called an evangelist. And um, this is just a little framework. I won't dwell on it for too long or we'll be here for days. And frankly, I don't think you want that. And also, the cakes are too nice over there. I can't hold out any longer than the slot I've been given. But there's six things about Philip that are important. If you actually want to do outreach, then firstly, from Acts 6, you require a ministry of compassion. Now, I talked about that quite a lot last night, so we don't need to go over old rope. But in that context, the widows weren't getting enough food. And the fact that people were getting food mattered. Secondly, in Acts 8, must be prepared to cross cultures. Philip goes from where he's comfortable to meeting an African eunuch in the middle of the desert. He goes from his place to their place. I think for too long we've done in drag as church. As long as people come onto our territory, we're happy to do outreach. But I think we've got to do outreach, not in drag. We've got to go out sometimes and cross cultures. Thirdly, need a ministry that demonstrates the Spirit's power. That's in Acts 8, the whole stuff around Simon the Sorcerer. I don't know about you, but I think the UK church is really good at words. I think we're amazing at works. But our question wonders. Although things that have come out of Northern Ireland, like healing on the streets, have been transformative in certain contexts. Fourthly, have a ministry of personal evangelism. He goes from the big crowd to the individual. If any of you are church leaders or employed by Christian organisations, you've got to do in your own time what you tell everyone else to do in your work time so when i led youth for christ i ran a youth group in our church nothing to do with youth for christ but we ran a youth group do you know what they used to come and sit in our house we did it in our house because we wanted to share life more than just put on a group for them they came and sit in our house they ate our food they grunted at us they sat on the comfortable chairs they called us old they looked at us like we were honored to have them in our presence and every so often something amazing happened or in my life now as an evangelist, on a Thursday night, I play football with a load of bankers. They are hatchet men on and off the pitch. They rock up in their Jaguars. I come up in my Skoda and I look like a poor relation in every way. But you know what? They don't know another Christian. Because our personal evangelism has to have a place. Otherwise, the professional stuff doesn't work. Fifthly, need to be committed to mentoring others. Philip is bringing others along. Who are you developing? Who are you growing? Finally, call to obedience. Do you I love about Philip? He goes to ministry in Samaria. In Samaria, it's really kicking off. People have been exercised, healed, come into faith. It's like, forgive me, but it's like New Horizon on acid. 
It's like everything's happening, but amazingly, and he's called from that to the middle of the desert to meet one eunuch, and he goes. Because what we have to realize in our evangelism is God sees up here and we see here. We just don't see the full picture. And that eunuch is the first person to take the gospel to Africa, the most on fire continent for God today. Because he's a eunuch in the service of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. It's amazing, isn't it? But it's because he's obedient and he trusts God. So you can see you've got a structure there for evangelism. Which of these, and we'll do this, we'll try this as an, we'll try something different now, instead of turning in groups, we'll try another conversation, all of us. Is anyone not going to be honest enough to say which of these they would find most difficult? If any, you might have them all mastered. Anyone? Sorry? Number four, personal evangelism. It is hard, isn't it? No Christian should not know their neighbours. And I'm not saying that's a guilt trip, but we've got to get... We are salt and light in the neighbourhood. about other people? Which one? Three. Yeah, you know, and that depends a lot on your churchmanship, to be honest. But when you look in the Bible, the Spirit does some outrageous things. And therefore, there's going to be some moments he'll do some outrageous things. What about, which one do we find easiest? Compassion. You know, um, Christianity is very interesting because it goes in and out of fashion in what it emphasizes. Same as anything else. 35 years ago, evangelicals were just talking so much and doing so little. And so the whole message was, we've really got to do more to show our love, not just speak about it. Now I think we're heading towards a position where potentially we do too much and don't talk enough. Although I'm not sure we do too much. I just think we need to talk in balance with how much we're doing. And the problem is, is the compassion bit's easy. Because when I, when I led you for Christ, every time something was set up like a food bank or street pastors or something, all brilliant stuff, you'd lose volunteers from Youth for Christ. Because most people would volunteer for something. And who wouldn't rather help someone get home safely on a Saturday night than tell a load of teenagers on a Thursday afternoon that they need to follow Jesus? It's challenging, isn't it? We'll move on. I want to throw this out there. This is something called the Engels scale. It's, it's a little bit modernist, but it's still very relevant. The idea on this is that steps 1 to 15 is a journey towards being a disciple. Now, all I would add today is probably minus 5 to 0. Because I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, there are, most people don't start with no awareness of God. Quite a lot of people start anti. And so there's quite a lot to be done, minus five to zero. To make someone ambivalent about God, you've got to stop them being anti. You've got to deal with the damage they have or the perception they have or their view of the church. But what's interesting with this, it's very empowering because everyone can do something. When we talk about evangelism, too often we think that's got to be the actual decision moment for Jesus. But the other night, um, who was there on Sunday night? There on Sunday night? When um, we had that slightly uncomfortable moment, which I really hate doing, but God's called me to do, of asking people if they want to surrender their lives to Jesus. When 12 people surrender their lives to Jesus, that's not suddenly all happened on that night. Six or seven people have led them towards that moment. And without those six or seven, I'm just hot air. But with those six or seven and me on the team with them, it happens. And it does, on average, take seven people to lead someone to Jesus if they've come from nowhere. But if you look at this, kind of naught to five, if we say minus five to zero is get rid of the negativity, then naught to five is utterly unaware of stuff to moderately interested. Six to ten is interest warming up to decision for Jesus. And 11 to 15 is cementing the decision through to sharing with others. What I love about it as well is, and I'm trying to get out of the way because people are trying to look around me and let's face it, I'm not little. What I love about this as well is you're not considered a disciple till you're telling others. So there might be some of us even in this room who haven't completed the scale of coming to faith. That's interesting, isn't it? But looking at this, do you find this potentially more empowering than just the word evangelism on its own? Because we can all operate in different areas. 
In fact, let's play musical chairs. I want you to decide whether you are most effective, minus 5 to 0, 0 to 5, 6 to 10, or 11 to 15. I just want you to most effective, because this is a moment of affirmation. Which are you best at? Now, this is hard because we're not American. Scott's made that clear in the morning, hasn't it? Americans are brilliant at everything. British people are possibly maybe somehow, maybe somewhere underneath something, possibly maybe got something of a gift. So we're going to behave slightly differently to our normal culture. I would like you to stand, please, if you are able, and you consider yourself best at minus five to zero. Turning antagonistic people to being indifferent. Brilliant. Sit down, that's great. Stand up, please, if you are best at zero to five. Taking people from nowhere to possibly being interested. Brilliant. And that should be most people. Brilliant. Stand up, please, if you are best at six to ten. Okay, I'm stood at the front. So I'm stood, so yeah, I'm best at that. Stand up, please, if you're best at 11 to 15. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for standing. I know that this is a... You'd rather just sit there and listen. But the the reality is, all of us are good at different bits. One of the reasons we did the Great Commission site is, our guess, which has just been anecdotally proved here, is that people are worse at 6 to 10. 6 to 10. That's where we need to help people, giving people moments and opportunities for that. But everyone's needed on the journey. And in your church, I bet you can all think of people in your church that are good at one of these areas. So if the church takes evangelism on board together, we can do this, can't we? We can do this, friends. We really can do this. And it's really important. We need to empower church congregations. Some research we did at EA showed that 86% of people feel confident that they could invite a non-Christian to their church and that person would feel welcome. Do you know, in Manchester, um, in England, they did a survey last Christmas. They surveyed 2,000 non-Christians. Would you go to church at Christmas if a friend invited you? 94% said yes. They then surveyed 300 Christians. How many of you are going to invite anyone to church at Christmas? 8% said yes. We've got a problem, haven't we? Because people will come through relationship. I also think we've got a problem that particularly those in Christian leadership don't have enough non-Christian friends. I think a lot of people need to get off church rotors. The flower rotor could survive not happening for a while. Get off church rotors and get some hobbies. Because we've got to get out there meeting people. Because workplace is one context, but you've got all kinds of dynamics there. But meeting people in a social context is a really good way of leading people to Jesus. I also think there's other stats interesting. 70% of evangelicals expect their churches to grow over the next 20 years. But only 41% expect the wider church to grow. What's that all about? So we all think our church is ace, but everyone else is a pants. I think we should just believe the whole thing's going to grow. It makes me wonder um, what people encounter when they come to church. This is one of those word map things where the words used the most are the biggest. So this is the idea of what people would find when they come to church. I'm a little concerned that you won't be able to spot Jesus very easily on there. But you know, um, do you know what the single biggest desire of, of an adult in the United Kingdom is, is for, that they don't have? Community. Loneliness is a real problem in our culture. Especially if you live in um, somewhere like I live. I live uh, on the edge of London. You know what? People get home from work at about eight. They then do one of two things. They either go to the gym or they drink a bottle of wine. Then that's it to the weekend. When we lived in the Midlands, we did loads of stuff during the week at church. You can't do it where we live now because no one's around in the week. And there's a lot of people very, very lonely. And the church can provide community and community in an incredible way. 
and it also can provide truth, which is vital. So, um, I want to talk to you about a way in which we can all reach people. It's called Three Story. Who's come across Three Story Evangelism before? Okay, one or two. Really simple. It's really, really simple. There's these three circles. There's my story, there's God's story, there's someone else's story. And what it is, is about making friends with people. And as you make friends with people, you connect them closer to Jesus. So is anyone prepared to come up the front and help me? It won't be embarrassing. It might not be fun, but it won't be bad. I just need a volunteer. Can someone help me? Someone I don't know? Which is any of you? Wonderful. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's welcome him, shall we? Because brave soul. Right, and what's your name, please, mate? Richard. Richard. Okay. Okay. Richard is going to be, for a moment, a non-Christian. No, in fact, we'll change the language. A not-yet-Christian. Okay. I will be a Christian, which should take less acting, I hope. <laughs> Me and Richard meet each other, and we become mates. Okay? All right, there we go. Very nice. We are friends. So if you imagine we're two circles, our circles interlink. We are mates. I've got a relationship with God, so God is interlinking with me here. When me and Richard have become mates, and he finds out I'm a Christian, is God more or less accessible to Richard than he was before? Why? Because we're mates. Also, because I'm normal, or normal to Richard. You know, so we've become mates... So you think, hang on, this guy's a Christian. Maybe there's some sense in this. The problem is that at the moment, Christianity is too abstract to most people. 61% of non-Christians in the UK know a Christian. But only 24% have ever had a conversation about God with a Christian. So most people have never had a chat with a Christian about God. Therefore, God, their impression of God comes from the world. Therefore, it's abstract, it's weird, and it's irrelevant. We have got to make friends with people. Because the dream is in the end, Richard comes to faith and all three circles overlap. And then Richard goes out and reaches some people. Now, how do you even begin to start relationships? You find points of connection. So what I'm going to do, Richard, I know nothing about you. I'm going to talk about my life. And every time we have something in common, put your hand up. Okay? I'm a fella. Born in an urban environment. I didn't do very well at school. I hid what intellect I have wonderfully. I was very good at sports. Captain of the football team. Joker in the classroom. Um, I had not many people got close to me, but I had a few really good friends. And I left school not really knowing what to do in my life. In my late, I'm married to a surprisingly pretty wife. Yeah, yes, you mean. <laughs> I have children. I've come to faith. No. I would give my life for the causes I believe in. No. When I grow up, I want to still know how to have fun. Wonderful. Okay. We found a few points of connection, right? I love football. I support the same football team as Jesus. We found a number of points of connection, Richard. You see that? Now, all it takes is one point of connection to build a relationship. Do you know popular people? Thank you, Richard. You've helped me so much. Thank you. Do you know popular people aren't interesting? This is really cheesy, but it matters. They're interested. You don't have to be interesting. You don't have to be the most dynamic. You don't have to be the most exciting. You just have to be interested in people. On average, you have to ask someone about eight different things in their life before they ask you about something in yours. But eventually it comes back. And I think we need to be less self-absorbed and more outward-facing. Because you build a relationship already there, actually... 
hardly said anything to each other. But already there, I reckon Richard and I could go out and have a coffee together and get on. We found enough. It wasn't hard, was it? And what we've got to do is we've got to start making friends with people. It takes the fear out of evangelism. It's what Jesus did. Jesus did most of his outreach on a one-to-one. And most of it, the woman at the well on Sunday found out he knew her story, but he was still asking. He was still probing. Will you give me a drink? Will I do this? Will I do this? We've got to start taking the fear out of it. And every Christian has got to start sharing their story and hearing the story of others. Because it takes the fear out of it. And we've all got people to work with. Can you see how this would be something that would lead people towards Jesus? Because if you go back two slides. Three slides. You're not having to do everything in this conversation, but you've got to be moving people along a scale. I said I was best at six to ten. I am professionally. Personally, I'm best at minus five to zero. Why? Because certainly this far in my life, most of the fellas I've met don't expect to meet a fellow like me that loves Jesus. Because I'm the same amongst my mates as I try and be on a platform up there. I'm the one telling the jokes, though they're clean. That's the same as the platform, just to clarify. <laughs> and a bit of the life and soul. When I play football, I play a load of blokes and I play hard. Why? Because do you know what? That's how you play football. Yeah, yeah, I don't kick people or anything, I, except for lack of ability. But, you know, you play hard. And, and, and they think you're a normal fella. And do you know what that does? It just turns around all their stereotypes. That's all it does. Now, I'm, getting, I'm not getting as good at this as I used to be. Because when I was in my 20s, it was even more countercultural. But now, let's face it, I'm starting to look more like a Christian in the opinion of most of the people I know. <laughs> but we all do different things. And we've got to be interested and begin to share stories. A few warnings. These are a few warnings if you want to keep evangelism central to the church. Don't drop the ask. Every single Sunday I have preached for the Evangelical Alliance, I've seen at least one person come to faith. That does not say that I'm brilliant at this. It says that in every church there are people ready. Just maybe they've not been asked. We mustn't drop the ask. We've got to get confident and secure enough in this. When I first started doing this, I remember one occasion it went really well and one occasion it went really badly. On the occasion loads of people came to Jesus. Do you know what people said? Wasn't God good? When no one came to Jesus, do you know what people said? Oh, bit too much of you, Gav. I decided early on I'm not losing every time. God can't get all the glory when it goes well and I get all the kicking when it goes badly. I decided early on I am going to be someone who's going to invite people if they want to meet Jesus. And if they do, praise God, you can deal with it, God. If they don't, praise God, you can deal with it, God. But either way, I'm going to ask. And we've got to get more secure. We're too insecure. But it is hard. Whenever I ask people, something in you dies, you think, what if this doesn't work? And you know what my identity is? I'm a child of the living God. We've got to get more secure and not drop the ask. Secondly, make room for events. We're so busy with services, but, but events are the best way to get people into Christian environments. In 2002, I learned a lesson. It was the World Cup. It was in Japan and Korea. And it was on a Sunday morning, the final, because of the time difference. And the church I was in refused to change the time of the service or show the World Cup final instead of the service because we didn't want to miss the service because Reg had prepared his fourth P on the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So I had a problem because I was running a football team and all those fellas wanted to watch the World Cup. So we went and watched the World Cup final in somewhere local instead and at half time I shared a bit about Jesus with them. But I just on reflection thought, what a waste. We have enough services at church. You don't stop it for everything. But the World Cup final on a Sunday morning, you could have got an ex-professional footballer in who had a testimony. You could have shared it at half time. We could have seen people come to faith. You could have seen people in the church who never would have gone near it. But you know what? We, we had to finish our series. And I just think we have to sometimes get pragmatic. I'm not knocking church services. They're utterly vital. But let's not compete with ourselves sometimes. Thirdly, let's explain why we do things. One of the things I've done at quite a few churches um, in England is a church open day. Every other institution does an open day. But church is just mysterious. People sort of drive past it and think, oh, I wonder what they do in there. But when you do an open day, it's fun. You you, you explain why we do stuff. Because let me clarify one thing. 
every church is weird. If we accept that, then we can move on. Every church thinks they're normal, but every church is weird. Why are they weird? Because every church does something where not everyone knows what to do if they're new. I know this because I've been preaching for 15 years. I've got a Bible college degree. I've got an ordination and I work for the Evangelical Alliance. And every Sunday I go somewhere, there's something I don't know what to do. Whether it's the way they pray, whether it's the way they do communion, whether it's do we stand at the end of the first beat or before they start doing it all together. You know, every church does something. Therefore, if I feel like that, how does the outsider feel? And we've got to start explaining why. So on the open day, the idea is, and and I'd encourage you to try and do this once a year, then eventually, ideally, once a month. On the open day, you explain, we're going to pray. Praying is this. We're going to sing. Singing is this. Worship is this. We're now going to have a talk, and that is this. The reason I've done a lot of these is they say we want a combination between a sermon and a best man speech. I'm like, what do you mean? They say, well, what we want is enough humour that people won't get bored and enough depth that people won't complain. And you do a short talk and you try and engage people. But the idea being you take the fear out of church. The other thing you do is you give the rest of the church confidence that what they're coming to won't be weird. Because maybe it's just me. But every time I take a non-Christian friend to church, it seems to be the week something really weird happens. It's the week where the minister spontaneously decides we're all going to wash each other's feet, verrucas and all. Or the week where someone has an extended singing in tongues and then someone waits for an interpretation and my friends are going, what the heck is this? We need to create environments where people can bring people confident that it'll be all right. Fourthly, invest in new generations. 86% of people that come to faith in the UK are under 25. Therefore, invest in new generations. If you've got a leaking roof, get out a bucket, but don't give up pouring money into youth and children's work. That's where the real action is. Finally, point people to Jesus, not churchianity. I want people to meet Jesus. As a result of meeting Jesus, you are part of the church. But too often we try and win souls to church. We're winning souls for Jesus. Then they go to church. A few things that have worked. Open church buildings. There's a real growth in the UK in people coming to faith by going and sitting in a church building and giving their life to Jesus. It's not massive, but it's growth compared to what we had before. Keep your church building open. People are interested in the spiritual. Secondly, make more of weddings and funerals. Most people that get married in a church or a family that have a funeral in a church get no follow-up from that church. Yet most people that experience that would welcome follow-up. Maximise these. Don't maximise them on the day. I'm forever getting asked to preach at weddings. They say, go on, do your evangelistic thing. And I say to the couple, I say, unless you've put on your invite that you're inviting people to a wedding and an evangelistic event, I can't preach the gospel for the church. I can share how the gospel's changed your life. The moment for evangelism with people at a wedding is often afterwards, not during. And we need to make sure we do that. Peer-to-peer, we've looked at that. Release everyone to do it. Redeem current activity. Church is busy being busy. We don't need to do more. We just need to make what we're doing already more Jesus. Every December I get a bit bored with Christians saying, Oh, I wish the world would stop taking Christ out of Christmas. I think until we've stopped taking Christ out of Christianity, let's stop having a go at the world for taking Christ out of Christmas. We do twice as much youth work as the state, but have we sold out to the PlayStation? It would be better to have smaller groupings of people hearing about Jesus than massive ones not hearing anything. And this expectation, everyone's going to come to faith by osmosis because we're so lovely, just, just isn't always true. Certainly not true if I'm the person leading the event. Because I'm not lovely. And you know what? Christians don't have exclusivity on kindness. God made everyone. And he left some of his fragrance and others too. And bold invitation. Let's risk our reputation to invite people to church and to invite people into relationship with Jesus. Um, As we wrap up towards the end, I would just say it's easy for us to think it's really hard for us and it's been easy for everyone else. It's just not true. When Paul writes in Romans 1 to Rome, he writes, I'm bound, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed. Now, when Paul wrote to Rome, did you know that Rome was considered the ultimate in imperial power and pride? 
People used to go to Rome just to stare in awe and wonder at the city. It was considered the ultimate in human creation. Many would want to go on a pilgrimage in their lifetime to the city just to see how brilliant it was. People basically worshipped the city. Yet Paul writes, I'm bound, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed. And do you know what? 2,000 years on, Rome is in ruins and Jesus is alive. In your day, you might be rejected. You might look like a fool. But 2,000 years time, if the world's still here, the powers that be now will be in ruins and Jesus will still be alive. Equally, Paul, according to John Stott, was a little man. He had bandy legs. He had a monobrow. Why not just pull out the middle? He had a bull patch. He had, he had bad eyesight. He had no great rhetorical gifts. And yet he says, I'm bound. I'm eager. I'm not ashamed. Friends, we think we've got nothing to offer. We are too abound. If you love Jesus, you are bound to share him. Question is, will we be eager and will we be not ashamed? It's difficult, but we crack on. But most importantly, in anything, we pray. You know, we totally overestimate the activity of our hands and we underestimate the activity of our prayers. I've seen this um, in my own context. I'm forever sort of wondering, what, why have I not prayed more? What, what, when you pray, it changes everything. I was um, preaching in a park recently. It's a park in Bedford. Fortunately, it was in England, not Northern Ireland, so it wasn't raining. <laughs> Naughty. And I was preaching in this park. There were about 400 people there. And I just felt, I just felt deflated and not ready to do it before I was getting up. And we were singing. And there were two football matches going on over there. There were hundreds of people in this cafe that were nothing to do with us. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I simply prayed, and I felt the Lord challenge me. Don't preach like a lion in a church and a mouse in a park. And I was ready to go. I felt full of the, the joy of the Lord. I had my guts back, gave it some. A load of people came to faith and someone in the cafe came to faith. He was just there having his donut, poor guy. By the time we went back, his kid had finished his donut as well. Felt like I should buy him another one. But you know what? God is ever present with us. I think the omnipresence of God is something we don't think about enough. Therefore, every time you're having a conversation about Jesus, Jesus is present. That should give us boldness. And I just don't think we walk closely enough with him. I um, take my son to football training. It's basically my pension plan. When you work in ministry, you're never sure how that's going to turn out with a pension. So my son playing for England is the hope. So I take him to football training. And when he first started, he went to Little Kickers, it was called. And at Little Kickers, when you're three, you dribble around these cones and score a goal. There's no goalkeepers. I'm like, Lord, why could there not be no goalkeepers in my league? And he used to do this. But for a little while, he wouldn't do it unless he held my hand. He could do it on his own, but he wouldn't do it unless he held my hand to dribble around the cones and score a goal. That's all well and good now. But when he plays for England, he'll have to play on the left wing. (laughs) Otherwise, how am I going to hold his hand as he dribbles along? But I felt God challenged me one week. Why don't you do this with me? You know, the idea that I just go through my life thinking a position of strength is to just get on with it. A position of strength is to hold on to God and say, come on then, Lord, let's take this on together. Only a fool would know the living God and then pursue their life independent of him. But sometimes we need reminding, don't we? So in my life and my attempts to make a difference and to keep evangelism central to me and central to the church, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to hold on to his hand and I'm going to go where he wants to go. Because you know what? He's everywhere all the time. But I need to remind myself of that. Every morning I pray two prayers. Lord, remind me what you've saved me from. Because until I I was salvaged, I didn't come to faith until I was 18. And until I really remember what I was saved from, I don't have the same enthusiasm for reaching others. Lord, remind me what I'm saved from. And then secondly, Lord, remind me during the day that you're present with me because I need to be bold and I need to be eager and I need you there. So prayer needs to be just part of what we are. They said of the great Corrie ten Boom, heroine who survived the Second World War in a Nazi concentration camp, they said of her, you were never sure when she was talking to you and when she was praying because her relationship with God was so intimate she flitted between the two. I'm not there yet, but I'd love to be like that, wouldn't you? Sharing my life with the divine as I try and lead those around me to him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, 
I just want to ask that you would make us more fruitful in your hands. Lord, we're happy to share our story. We're happy to ask other people's theirs. But Lord, we need your anointing. We need your blessing. We need you. And so Lord, I pray for each of my friends in this room that they would leave here with a renewed confidence. That they would leave here feeling that there's two or three things they could try. That they would believe that their church has a better future than it had a past. But most importantly, they wouldn't forget next week that you are with them. Lord, would you be as close in their workplaces, their clubs, their families, their schools, as you feel now? Lord, would you seem as powerful to us then as you do now? And Lord, would our identity be found in being your children, living your way? And Lord, if for some of us this involves rejection in our time, give us the strength to cope. Let's keep our eyes shut for a moment, but I just want to pray for some specific people. If, if there's someone immediately coming to mind that's either left the church and you're desperate for them to come back, or a neighbour or a friend who immediately comes to mind when I say, if the Lord could answer your prayer that there was one person would meet the Lord in the next year, who is it? If you've got someone in your head right now, we just want to pray for them. So if you've got someone in your head, just put your hand up if you would. If there's someone in your head right now that you would be most desperate to come to faith in the next year. Maybe it's a few people, but, but just put your hand up. That's wonderful. We've nearly all got someone. So we can put those hands up. I'm gonna, I don't know their names, but I'm going to lift those people to the Lord now. Lord Jesus, you are the God of the harvest. And you know each of the people that are in our minds right now. You know them intimately and you know them, but they may not yet know you. And Lord, we long for them to know you. And I want to pray, Lord, for each of those people in our minds. I want to pray for opportunities for my friends to speak into their lives. I want to pray for opportunities for my friends to model your love. To show it in their actions as well as their words. And I want to pray for fruitfulness. I want to pray for real fruit that if we were to gather here next year, we would have story after story after story of answered prayer, of salvation of people. We are desperate to meet you. And Lord, I want to ask finally that on moments with those people, you would give us boldness. You would help us to stand up, speak up and live up for you. And finally, Lord, in our own lives, Just remind us what we're saved from. Just remind us what you've done for us. And out of that might there come a real heart of worship that simply says, thank you for saving me, King Jesus. Amen.